0: Welcome to Grace Point. This is a series. It's a series for married people. It's a series for for, uh, single people. Um, Basically, what I'm trying to do today and in future weeks is just give practical helps for relationships from a Christian standpoint. Now, today, uh, what I want to do is we're going to take a look at four principles that apply to all kinds of relationships. Okay, so I don't know where you are, what relationships you're involved in, but it applies to all uh, many different kinds of relationships. But if you are married today, I want to give you uh, just highlight four gifts that you can give your spouse. Okay, four gifts that will actually revolutionize your marriage. Um, and in these principles, they will help transform. If you feel like your relationship is kind of stuck you're in a place where you need to move forward more, or, or even in, if you feel like there are some things in your marriage that are, that are sort of in, in danger... Um... This is something that will help. And Shay and I were talking this last week, so this is my second week on this. And she says, "You know, I really like it when you do marriage series because, like, you're you're trying to. Pay, I'm trying to pay attention to these things. Oh, yeah, man, I'm not doing this, and so I'm trying to do this. And she's like, I really like that, you know. Um, so for for all of you, I would recommend doing a marriage series that'll help your marriage. Um, what? Well, <laughs> Well, so today what I've got here, just as kind of like the illustration, sort of the highlight, it's, it's sparkly, it's, you know, whatever you want to call it, but every one of us um, basically has a set of hopes and dreams and desires that, that we carry along with us in, in life, and especially when it comes to relationships, especially when it comes to marriage, um, if you are unmarried, you're, you're not like dating anybody um, this box is, might be even somewhat undefined for you, especially if you're younger, that you're trying to figure out, well, what are my hopes? What are my dreams? What are, what are the, the desires that I have? But as you think more seriously about getting involved in, in relationships, um, you've got different desires. You've got hopes of what you think you would like to see fulfilled. And of course, if you're engaged, and I've talked to a lot of engaged people over the years, um, hopefully you've already talked about what's in your box. Because you've got a number of things in your box, and when I do premarital counseling, this is one of the very first exercises that, that I do. And so, some of you couples who, who have been here, you remember that. You remember us talking about some of some of these things. Now, if you're married, you should have a pretty clear understanding about your box, and not just what's in your box, but what's what's in your spouse's box as as well. But see, all of us have a box, and this box is influenced. It's influenced by our past. It's influenced by our, our memories. Um, most often, it's influenced by all the different experiences that we have in life. And so, sometimes it's because we're trying to avoid something. We don't want that in our box. Other times, it's like, man, I, I really hope to recreate something that I've seen, something that I've experienced, and we want that in the box. Now, while all of us have a box like this, uh, we can't really call it full of hopes and dreams and, and desires because... It's, it's, it's an empty box. There, there, there's, really, there's nothing in it. The reason why there are hopes and their dreams is because you want to have it filled. You, you want to fill it up. The, the hopes, dreams, and desires are, are not things that you possess. You, you don't have them. You're looking for somebody to fill them up in your box. That, that's what we do. And there are a lot of things that you can fill it with. You can fill it with, you know, money. I hope that I can um, be involved in a relationship in the future where we are financially secure. Or it could be maybe your, your home and what your home's going to look like. Um, maybe it has to do with um, your career. Like, I hope that this is what the career looks like, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, all that stuff. And, and, and you know, for some of you, maybe you're thinking, uh, you know, some of you ladies, you might think, well, you know, one day I do hope I, I would like, maybe you're abnormal from culture or maybe whatever you think. You're thinking, well, I would like to be a stay-at-home mom and I hope that I could marry a husband that, that would have the kind of career that would allow me to do that, to, to be able to, to, to do that. And, and maybe some of you guys, maybe one, one of you, you want, you want to marry a woman who loves to fish, and really wants you to have a nice fishing boat. I mean, that's okay. You could have that as a hope, dream, and desire, you know. (laughs) But see, we've got these ideas um, about chores. Who's going to do the chores? Um, who's going to do um, the cooking, how's it going to get done, who's going to do all the shopping, how is the money going to be spent, how often are you going to invite people and host people at your home, you've got ideas about that, you've got ideas about the dog, you've got ideas about who's going to clean up after the dog. You have, you know, maybe some of you. I I know some people who have talked with, and they had they had ideas about when they got together um, that they wanted their spouse to say, "Hey, we're going to spend. All I want is three different holidays with my side of the family, and you can have all the other ones. I only want, um, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. You can have Flag Day, you can have Columbus Day. I'll give all the rest to you." And we've got hopes and desires. And of course, every man, let just, just going to say it, uh, every man has hopes and thoughts about what his wife will or will not wear to bed. And of course, she's thinking, well, he just wants me to be comfortable and warm. You know, and he, doesn't, you know he accepts me with all that. and you know, You've got these different desires, right? Now, over time, what happens is that these hopes, dreams, and desires, they become evident to us. And, and eventually, we decide that we need to share them with our loved one. There, there comes a point in time where there's a sort of a, a transaction that takes place where you start to talk about these hopes and these dreams and these desires, these, these wishes. And, and basically what we do is we take our box and we give it to this, our loved one, our, our future spouse, our fiancé, whatever it is. And, and basically we say, here, make these come true. <laughs> this is what we say. And see, here's the thing. Um, at the center of all the hopes and dreams and desires, you know what's at the center of that? It's me. It's me. These are, these are all my things. You know, at the center of it, it's just me. But see, when we give them to our future spouse, to our loved one, it doesn't look like hopes and dreams and desires. You know what it looks like to them? It looks like expectations. Yeah. It almost sounds like, well, this is the reason why I pursued you. <laughs> um, this is the reason why I walk down the aisle with, with you. This is, in, in my mind, this is what the future looks like. And so what I really need is I really need you to come through for me. Because this is really what I've been just kind of hoping for all the time. And see, there's some expectations that are just not, they're not easy to meet at all. In fact, um, there are times you may wonder if anyone alive could ever meet those kinds of expectations. Um, I had a fellow um, Air Force friend, a guy who was in the Air Force. Um, he married a woman who was raised in a very wealthy family. And after they got married, um, she gave him her box. And her box was basically to continue that kind of lifestyle. And so he's constantly working to, to do this. And she's kind of trying to fulfill her dream, the things that are in her box at home with a nice house and a nice part of town and the kids and the white picket fence and all of that. And and he's always focused on He's like, okay, we got to move up. We've got to go to the next biggest house, gotta to go to the next best thing and get the next thing, the, the better cars and all that. He's just trying to they're just spending more, they're always keeping up and and as he spent more and more time at work, he spent less and less time at home and he, he it wasn't that he didn't want, but he just ended up not having a role in the family. It was all her this was her idea and his he found out after a while that her hopes and, and dreams and desires was just that he would just provide so that she could live her life. And she could do this. And eventually the marriage was crushed under the weight of these expectations. And he's trying to, to genuinely meet them, but but he's looking at his box. And his box wasn't getting filled up, and so he just said, well, I'm just going to go take it someplace else to see if I can fill it in another place. And see, this, this is how big these, these hopes and dreams and desires, these expectations can can become. And see, expectations become a become a really big deal in marriage and there are a lot of ways there there are a lot of ways to handle it wrongly and there are very few ways to handle them well and the reason why is because an expectation in any relationship it actually can turn it into a debt and debtor relationship where because of this expectation what what you do is is I, I put my expectations on you and now I assume you're going to fulfill them so therefore now you owe me you owe me the things that I want you to put in my box. And and when I commit my life to you and hand you my box now, um, you are the one who needs to take responsibility to fill it. And that can happen, and I see this all the time, and man, I see it all over... Uh, around in relationships around our, our country, around, around the world, and, and what happens is you begin to feel um, like, okay well you 're in debt to me and you owe me you owe me attention, you owe me affection, you owe me time, you owe me a family, you owe me a nice house and you name whatever it is, and then of course, there 's the IOU, which we really don 't want to focus on that part about it, about all that I owe you. And so, so think, think about this. How much gratitude do you have for a person who pays you back what they owe you? How much gratitude do you have for Amazon when you have returned something and they give you money back? You're like, oh, thank you, Amazon. Thank you so much. No, no, you have very little gratitude when somebody pays you back what you think that they owe you. And and when somebody provides a service for you, how much gratitude do you have for that person because like you're paying them to provide a service and so they're thinking, Well they should do that because that's really what I'm providing them or what I'm telling them to do. And see, here's the thing, like when I expect Shay um, to do what she's always done, my gratitude for her is going to be minimal. So like, I, I know this, we, she, she homeschooled four kids. I would be, you know, in the office or doing lots of other things. You know, pastors get called out at different times. But, but I, would, I would come home and sometimes she would say, do you notice anything different? And I would be like, looking around, trying to figure that out. She's like, about the living room. And I'm like, see, I haven't seen the living room for like three days, so I don't know that they had like a, a whole paint experiment in the living room and, and plaster of Paris or whatever. And then she cleaned it up and it's sparkling clean. And I come in there and I don't realize. It. I'm just see how clean it is, and I'm like, great. But see, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I just expect you to do that. It's just an expectation. And so when the kitchen is clean and the kids are fed and everybody's in their right mind, that's just my expectation. And she's like, hey, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's great, but that's what I expected you to do anyway. So I really don't show a whole lot of appreciation because I figure, well, she just needs to do what she's always done. And now my appreciation level gets, you know, not very high for her when, when things like that happen. See, a debt and debtor relationship, what it does is it eliminates unconditional love. Did you know that unconditional love is really the foundation point for every marriage? That's why you say the vows that that, that you say. Um, In an environment of expectation, it's very difficult to recognize love. And see, marriage is not built on fulfilling expectations. Yes, there are expectations, but it's not built on that. It's built on love. These are the things that God says, and we're going to talk about this in just a little bit. Um, You know, in in the premarital premarital mentoring that that I go through with a number of the couples, one of the things I do in the very beginning is I ask a question. Uh, I I ask, why do you love your fiancé? Tell me why you love them. And, And honestly, that kind of a question is, it's actually a fairly difficult and deep question. To say why you love somebody. Okay, and ask that question. So on the lowest level, the lowest level answer to this question is based on being attracted physically. That's that's the lowest level is, wow, they're pretty. Wow, he's handsome. Okay, A, a level up from that goes how they make me feel. Well, I love them because they make me feel something. See, but, but there's still a problem with that. And the next level up higher than that, is, it's because, well, I love them because of the qualities that they have. And they'll say, well, you know, she's so compassionate and she's so kind and, and she's very creative and he's funny and he's hardworking. And, and they, they list all of these things. But see, the problem with all of those things is every one of them is changeable. It can change. It probably will change. See, the highest level of love You can't get any higher than this level of love. The highest level of love is based on something that is completely unchangeable. It could never be changed. And that's the foundation point of your love. And this is actually something that Jesus taught to His disciples. The night before He was crucified... He is unpacking and unloading things to the disciples. And He says this. He actually says it a couple of times. So there's two different places I'm quoting from. But in John 13 and John 15, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then later, that night, He says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He had just said, a new commandment I give you, and then he, and then he says again, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. So, man, this is, this is so deep. I mean, first of all, who has the authority to establish a new commandment from God? I mean, God gave commandments to Moses, but God's the one that did it. And Jesus comes along and says, okay, I've got a, a new commandment I'm, I'm going to give you. And it's based on your interaction with Me. It's not based on an ethereal thing. It's not based on the rules or the laws of the land. It's based on what you have seen and how I have operated with you. I mean, He just finished washing their feet. He's been teaching them. He's been instructing them. He's been caring for them. He's been providing for them. He's been praying for them and praying with them. And so now you have Jesus in establishing this new commandment. He's basically, what He's doing is He's claiming to be better than Moses because He's doing it on His own authority. And what He's saying is He's equivalent. He he is God. And so here's Jesus commanding each of them to love each other the way that He showed them love throughout His life and through His death. And see, this, this new commandment, it can only be done at the end of His life. It wasn't something He could come and give at the beginning. He, he, this is the night before He is betrayed. They don't talk with Him anymore after this. He's betrayed. The next day He's going to be crucified. He's going to be, be killed. He's going to be buried. And then three days later He will rise again. But He gives it on the same night in which He was betrayed. And see, what Jesus does here is really, I think, incredible. Because the very first thing that He does, I, I see, is, is he, he actually... Defines the highest standard of love. And secondly, he gives the basis for why we love each other. Especially, I would say, why we love our spouses. So, if you're a Christian here today, what this passage here means for you is that your standard of love is defined by the degree that Jesus Christ loved you. So, How Jesus loved you is a historical event. Can you go back and change a historical event? No. You can go back and try to rewrite it and claim that it didn't happen, but you can't change what actually happened. It's unchangeable. And see, what Jesus did is also based on the character of God. You know what? That doesn't change either. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes. And so these things, these, the, the history of what Jesus did, the event, his, his actions, and his character are unchangeable. And he says, and this is the basis of love. It's unchangeable. And so what I'm saying to you today is rather than t- taking your box, your box of hopes and dreams, and really what it is, is it turns into expectations. Rather than giving your spouse this box of your expectations, What Jesus wants you to do is He wants you to give them a gift. A series of different gifts that are based on the foundation of your relationship. And that's really what I want to talk with you about uh, today. So two things that I see from this passage here, and these are are gifts that, that couples that enjoy one another, that they give to each other. The very first thing they do is that they base their love, their commitment of love, on something that is unchangeable. It's not based on how funny they are because one day they're not very funny. It's not based on how beautiful a person is because as you age, you lose your beauty. It's not based on how physically fit and attractive and all that because as you get old, you understand it just doesn't stay. You base your love commitment on something that is unchangeable. And secondly, they have defined love well. They understand what real love is. It's not all about this gushy feeling. It's not like you turn on the love radio station and you're like, oh, this is how it makes me feel. See, as Christians, those of you who are Christians in in this room today and those of you who are watching online, this is the way we are commanded to love each other and it's the way that we're commanded to love our spouses it's, it's, even, it's really higher because now you've got a covenant with, with your spouse and so, so my definition of love with, with this that, that I can see what, what Jesus said and everything that Jesus did my definition of love is simply this it's seeking another person's highest good no matter what the cost is to me it's seeking another person's highest good no matter what the cost this is what God does He's constantly seeking your highest good. He's calling you to put your faith in Jesus. Why? Because that's the highest, the the best thing that could ever happen to you. He's causing you to love, he's telling you, love your neighbor. Why is he calling you to do that? Because that's the best thing that could, you could ever do. That's the highest good. Even though it may cost you something, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And so that's, that's really what love is. And see, Jesus commands each of us to love each other to the same degree that he loved us. What is the degree that Jesus loved you? And that's how you're called to love one another. Now listen, we owe Him everything. He owes us nothing. He's based His promises upon Himself and He says, and I will keep them. Because I am a God of perfect and wonderful character. I'm a God of love. I am, I am holy. I am, I am light. But He really he owes us nothing and yet He's giving us everything. And He gave it freely as a gift of grace. We didn't deserve it. And see, when you apply that to marriage, when you apply that to a relationship, what you're doing is you're just saying this, we have decided to love each other the way that Jesus loves us, and so therefore it's got to be an act of grace. It's not a debt debtor thing. It's not you deserve it because you acted this way. It's not that oh because you bought me Valentine's candies on February fourteenth, which is two weeks. Just letting you know, it's not because of that that therefore we're gonna you know it's nothing to do with the because um, because of whatever you did. Therefore I have to do this. It's not a give and take. It's not a fifty fifty thing. It's not that at all. See, and as a couple, what you do is you decide that you owe each other everything. You say, oh, I'm just going to decide that I owe you everything and that everything that you receive from them is an act of grace. You're going to say, okay, this is, this is a grace gift. And, and really what this is, I mean, I, I understand that there are things that somebody does and then you want to respond and you do back and forth. I understand all of that. But see, there's an attitude. Really what this is, this is an attitude. That, that I'm going to choose to have this kind of attitude as I approach my relationships. Okay, that, that's that's really the underlying thing. So instead of giving your spouse your box, you know what you need to do? Give, give your box to God. you got to give your box to, to God instead and let Him deal with that. And you give your spouse the kind of love that Jesus has for you. And you give it as a gift that you're never going to take back, and that they could never earn. That is the greatest foundation for, for love. That is the greatest foundation you could ever have in a relationship, especially a, a marriage relationship. And so this is, this is really what you do is you tell your spouse, you tell them, um, I'm going to do my best to love you like Jesus loves me, and I'm not going to stop. That, that's what you're telling them. I'm going to do my best to love you the way that Jesus loves me and I'm not going to stop. I'm committed to you because of Jesus' love for me and because of of how He showed it. That's why I'm committed to you. And and I plan on seeking your highest good. Those are the things, this is what you say and and maybe it is best to actually say it. That you turn to them and you you say these things. So so these are the two things I would say are just foundational. These are fundamental, okay? Okay. But let me give you two more things that you can put in your well, you can give to your spouse and say put in your box to give your just two more things that you can give that you need to give to your spouse as a gift. And, then, and here's the third thing, and, and it's simply this: that give them the benefit of the doubt. Something that I have said for, for a while. I've even had friends say, "I don't know if I see that in the Bible anywhere." And and uh, so I would go look at it. I'd say, "This is, I think, where it is." But um, let me start with with a study that that I found. Uh, Marcus Buckingham. He's a guy who who writes like leadership books and stuff. And and he cites a 20-year study of couples that are married for 10 years or more. And they still enjoy each other. They love each other. They just have a thriving relationship. And and they're trying to figure out, well, what is it that helps couples stay in love? And so this is a secular... These are secular companies. They're trying to figure these things out. You know, secular uh, social um, psychologists and all, all this kind of thing. And their theory going into it was this. That the people who were happy with each other, they knew each other the best. And consequently, because they knew each other, they lowered their expectations. So, well, because I know you, I'm lowering my expectations, so I won't be disappointed. This is what they expected going into the study. However, what they found out was that the opposite was true. That they weren't they weren't right at all. They found out that the happiest couples, when they were asked to score their spouses' qualities, um, they scored their partners higher than their partners scored themselves. So, in other words, the husband rated the wife higher than how she rated herself. That they constantly saw them as even better than maybe what they even saw them, themselves. And so the idea is that they found that happily married couples, they're writing a generous narrative about the other person. They're, they're saying, wow, they're, they're just so great. They're, they're, they're so kind. They're so, they, they're, it's not that they're loving them because of whatever, but they're telling them and saying, yeah, they are this. They are this. And, and their stories... About, the, their, about their spouse, they would give the most charitable explanation for, for whatever their behavior and whatever the character was that they see. And the researchers, they said, well, this behavior created sort of this upward spiral that it kept going up and up and up. And they would say, you know, um, their decision was always to believe the best about them. And that led to a conviction that they really are great. And then, you know, they would say that really, they are the greatest. And then that led to the, the sense of security that we're really secure in our relationship. And they keep going up higher and higher and higher with greater intimacy and the process just kept on going. And their conclusion to the study was basically this. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. That's what they said. Now, um, when I read this, I was thrilled because researchers discovered something that God has taught us long ago. He, you know, he basically taught us this about love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, which people call the love chapter, but near the end of that section, Paul writes a little summary about love. And, and he ends in verse 7. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That was the New King James Version. The, the New International Version says, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. So this idea that love believes all things, or that love always trusts, and this is what I like to summarize by saying, love, love gives the benefit of the doubt. Um, and what this, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you can ignore problems, um, that you don't confront bad behavior, or you don't confront sinful behavior. Earlier on it says, love cannot rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So, so it's not about letting sin slide. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about how, you, how your attitude and how you look at the other person, right? So what does it mean to give the benefit of the doubt? And I, I would say this, in every relationship that you've ever had, in every relationship I've ever had, there comes a time when there's a gap between what I expected somebody to do and what I actually experienced that they did. There, there's a gap between this. Um, and I think there we go next slide what we expect what we experience and it's not the same thing there are two different things so um, illustration for this you expect somebody to be there at a certain time and so you're there at a certain time but they're not there and you're waiting and you're looking at their watch and for, for some of you it's like if it's a minute late well they're really late if, you know being on time means being five minutes early but sometimes they're like ten minutes fifteen minutes whatever and, and you're just thinking you know hey this is what I expected and, and they didn't do it Or maybe it has to do with, you know, money. Like you expected the bill to come out to this, but it didn't. It came to this. Or you were looking at your checking account and you're thinking you had this much money in the checking account and lo and behold, it's this much. And you're like, hey, what happened? And, you know, somebody else has been spending the money and you're like, oh, no. But you you can lay this across the board to anything, to communication. When you said this, you expected something would be happening. But anytime there's a gap between what we expect and what we experience... We make a choice to place something in that gap. The question is, what do you place in that gap? And when things don't line up, either we choose to believe the best and give the benefit of the doubt, or we choose to assume the worst. So either we choose to say, I don't know exactly why they're late or whatever, but I imagine they must something must have happened, something must have delayed them, and you give them the benefit of the doubt or whatever it is. Or you could just assume the worst. You could say, they did it again. They're always like this. And you assume the very worst thing of, uh, about them. See, the issue is it's trust versus suspicion. Are you going to trust or are you going to be suspect? That's really. Are you going to put trust in the gap or are you going to put suspicion in the gap there? And so you've got to make a choice, make a habit to choose the best, to believe the best. And every time there's a gap, you choose to believe the best. Uh, and see happy couples, they, they believe the best until, until they can't really believe it anymore. Okay? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, Ronald Reagan, he had this old saying uh, trust and verify. Right? So you trust, but then you go back and you check and you verify. That works really great when you're the president. Um, I, I think my wife says it better. And she even said this last night. Um, she says, you know, when, when there's a gap between what you expect and what actually happens, you choose to believe the best. But when you can't believe the best anymore, what you need to do is clarify rather than accuse. You've got to stop and clarify rather than accuse. Uh, that, that's part of believing the best. Because suspicion, listen, suspicion in a relationship... You ever been in a like a, I was about to say. Have you ever been in a suspicious relationship? Um, you ever been in a relationship where somebody is always very suspicious of you? They're looking at you and they're thinking, "Oh yeah, but they're they're doing the wrong thing. They're 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 not working the way that they should." And I'm going to find some things wrong. And they're and they're watching you in that relationship. And see, suspicion in a relationship is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you always assume the worst about somebody, do you think you could find something wrong with them? Oh, oh, you bet ya. You. you bet. I, I, I've known this. People have, has, have assumed the worst about me and they're looking for what they can find. And, and, and man, they, they can find it. You, you, they can find it easily. See, you'll eventually find something if you're suspect. And so if you're with somebody who has a low trust, what happens? Well, you start kind of walking on eggshells because you feel like somebody's like searching for things wrong and so you're always trying to do the best. And when you're doing that and you're being so careful to always do the right thing, how does it look? You look suspicious. You look suspicious. Like, why are they acting that way? They must be up to something. That's just the way that it works out. But suspicion and low trust, it always sets the stage for failure. It always sets the stage for failure. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you turn a blind eye to things that are sinful, things that are cancerous in your relationship. But see, when the time comes and you can't give the benefit of the doubt anymore, you, you've got to go now and talk to them. You've got to confront them. There are going to be times when you have to do that. What you need to do is you need to go and clarify rather than just accuse don't let your mind just go on accusing. You go and you go and clarify. I probably should have had that up there on the screen, but, but just remember, everybody say that with me. Clarify before you accuse. You got that? Almost as good. So, based on what you know about yourself, based on your own experience and everything, um, do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? Do you believe the best... Or do you assume the worst? Because, see, love, love believes the best. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? Do you, do you, you don't even have an explanation and you're already mad. If that's you, you don't believe the best. You're assuming the worst. Now, let me give you the fourth gift the fourth thing that you've that you got to give your spouse. And it's found in Philippians 2, 1-3. And it's very, it's very easy to understand. It's very simple. And it takes Jesus' example of His love for us. It's, it's the Gospel and it applies it to every relationship. And we're just applying it to marriage here. Okay? So this is what it says in Philippians 2. Paul wrote, he said this, "...let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others as better than himself." Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so so what this looks like is that this is where people have a you-before-me mentality. And if you're married, it's not just a you-before-me mentality, it's a we-before-me mentality. It's that I'm going to put us before myself. And so the idea is simply this. It's just saying to the other person, you're more important than me. And we've done this before in the, fa- in the past. So this is what I'd like for you to do. I want everybody to take your right hand and I want to hold up your finger right now. Go ahead. I'm going to wait till everybody does it. All right, you got it? I'm going to call you out. There you go. That's right. That's right. And I want you to point to the person next to you and I want you to say, you're more important than me. Go ahead. You're more important than me. Yeah. That's what the Scripture is saying. You're more important than me. Now, if you're married, that looks different and it sounds different. So if you're sitting next to your wife, to your husband, you're sitting next to your spouse, then this is what you say. You don't say, you're more important than me. You also say, we are more important than me. Go ahead and say that to them. We are more important than me. Yeah, see, this is, this is what it looks like. When you sign up to get married, ultimately you're saying is that you plan to learn how to be selfless. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning. She would agree. Amen. He's not there yet, but he's learning. But he's learning. Yes. You learn to be selfish. So self, did I just say that? You learn to be selfish. That's recorded. You learn how to be selfless with that person for the rest of your life. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, sickness and health, forsaking all others. So, if you give these four things to your spouse, or you choose to give these four things to your future spouse, your future mate one day, and then you give to God these things in your box, listen, I'm not going to give you promises or anything, but I will say this, that your relationships will grow. And God will use that. And He may even just take some of these things in that box and He may bless you with them even as well. And your marriage will grow and your love life will as well. I want to pray with you quickly about this. And then what I'd like to do is we're going to, we're going to receive communion together. So, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as, uh, as I think about my marriage and the places where I have not done these things and maybe all of us can easily say that we have not done these things that, that maybe we have come into um, a relationship with a sort of a debt debtor idea that people owe us that the person owes us I pray that you would scratch that off of our, our plans that you would change us that we would take these these four different practices, these different gifts, that we would define love well, that it would be based on the unchangeable love of Christ for us. That that we would choose to give the benefit of the doubt, and and that we would we would say you before me. That this would be the attitude of us. I pray that that would be things that transform our relationships, our marriages, and even our church. Lord, I I ask that you would. Help us with all of these as we pursue this. That we would be an example of what love looks like. Both as a church, and as families, and as couples, and as singles, and at the workplace, and all around us. Lord, would you do this in us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, one of the things we like to do um, once a month is we want to practice what's called the Lord's table as communion. And if you if you have one of these cups from the back, um, I invite you to open it up. There are two it's like a two ply, there's a, a cellophane clear stuff, and then there's a foil underneath. I invite you to open that up. But this is just us remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. I read Philippians two, three to four But it keeps on going. And this is what Paul continued to say. He said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God has also highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is what we do, this is what we are saying, this is what we believe when we take communion together. So I'd like to invite you all to do this with me. The Apostle Paul, he wrote, he said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's remember the Lord as we eat this together. In the same manner, he also took the cup the cup after supper, saying This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. And that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. It's a historical event. It could never be changed. It's the highest level of love. It's the kind of love that we base all our relationships on within the church marriage included so let's drink this and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes would you all stand with me as we're dismissed in prayer Heavenly Father thank you for Grace Point Church I thank you for every visitor who's come today I pray that today is helpful for them not just for a relationship, but that it points them to Jesus. That is the greatest thing we could ever do is to point to Jesus. And so, Lord, I ask that You would continue to draw us closer to Yourself and You would help us as we desire to grow less selfish, as we desire to lean on You, and that You would strengthen our relationships with the kind of love that Jesus had for us that we would love each other in the same way that Jesus loved us thank you for that we don't deserve it but your love is great and we are in awe that you would even do this for us so Lord I pray as we go out and we're the church that you would show this love to our neighbors, our co-workers our families our community we pray this in Jesus name, Amen You are dismissed. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you next week. Remember to wear your jersey, favorite bowling team, football team, whatever, for Super Bowl. See you next week. Have a great week.